Red Rocks. How are we doing on this beautiful sunny day? You guys good? It's going to be an awesome day of church. If you've been coming here very long, you know what I'm about to do next, although I'm going to throw us for a loop. Uh, normally, this is where I greet all the other campuses, but there is a campus that we have that next to none of you know about, and we typically don't greet them, and I, I want to greet them at least this week. We may do it more in the future, but and I don't want to just give them a greeting. I want to give them a greeting, and so I'm going to do this. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about this particular campus, and then we're going to welcome everyone. This campus meets up in Westminster, and I got the privilege of being with them on Thursday, and the campus meets at the Rocky Mountain Muscular Sclerosis Center, and there's a program they have. It's a day program called KDEP, and that stands for um, King Adult Day Enrichment Program, and for almost the last two years, uh, they have been meeting there because all of them have uh, either been through a, a very difficult stroke that has kept them immobilized. They're almost all in wheelchairs or they all are struggling with multiple sclerosis. And um, so most of them cannot come to church. Like you and I have the privilege of coming to church. Either they can't get a ride because they need, you know, the big cars with all of the lifts and stuff to get them here. They need somebody to help them while they're here. And so uh, a girl by the name of Holly, who's been a Red Rocker for a long time, she is a champ. Let me talk to you about Holly for a minute. Holly uh, is an exercise specialist. That's the plaque on her wall that she got, and that's what she does. And if Holly just went to work every day there and did what she did with these amazing people, it would be enough. But the longer Holly kept working there, the more she realized, you know what? I can do more. I want so much for these people and I want them to be able to go to church. And, you know, she started to get to know them and their faith and realized there was a bunch of people there that have faith, but it's too hard for them to go to church because of their MS. And so she said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start a church there. And, and I told, I, I told the whole group, yeah, we can clap. That's beautiful. So great. I was there on Thursday because we did uh, baptisms, and I'll talk more about that in a minute. And I just started by honoring Holly to the whole group because I said, you know what? If Holly just came and did uh, what she was trained to do, that's noble enough. She could go home and sleep really well at night. But Jesus said something in the Sermon on the Mount. Most of you guys will be familiar with it. He said, if somebody asks you to go one mile with them, do what? Go two miles with them, right? It's above and beyond. It's, the first mile is, is your duty. The second mile is worship. And that's when it starts to get good in life is when it's, it's about worship. It's the first is what you're commanded to do. The second is what you get to do. And Holly's a, I can't believe I get to do this person. And we want to be a, I can't believe I get to do this church. And so Holly just started a campus and they started playing our sermons uh, every week. And they're, they're a week behind. And the first time Sean and I went there and met with them, it was amazing. And we had such a good time and we laughed a whole bunch and, and we, we gave a little talk and then uh, we got to know them and. And uh, there was about uh, just under 15 of them. And I come back for baptisms this year. And there's now 30 of them that are meeting. And we got to baptize 13 of them. It was incredible, Red Rock Church. It's incredible. And we had such a blast. Uh, there's this one girl, and let me just, let me just tell you what it went. They, they represent Red Rocks so well. There's this one girl named Christian, and she is a force of nature. The minute I walked in the building, I hadn't even seen her. I hear this, yo, Chad. And I go, that's Kristen. And we start talking. Well, Kristen didn't know this, and I didn't tell her because I'm not a nice guy, and I wanted to have some fun. But the, the, the kiddie pool that we, we carried them out of their wheelchairs in and put them in, it was just hose water. And we didn't tell him. And Kristen was one of the first people. And so when I, when, I, when I got her out of the wheelchair and we were putting her into the kiddie pool, 
she just goes, and, I, and I'm getting ready to get in the baptized, you know, the priestly, the priestly stance, the Tebow stance, right? And she just goes, holy bleep. And everyone's looking at me, the priest, like, what do we do with that? This is a holy moment. I was like, that's it, Kristen. You're getting dunked twice. This is on you. And everyone starts laughing, and I dunk her twice, right? <laughs> Can't talk like that. No, but she's, she, she's a trash talker. And she goes, hey, 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 you seem like the type of person that would talk like that too. I said, hey, I resemble that remark. I mean, resent. I resent that remark. No. Don't talk like that. I'm a priest. Come on. And then this girl, Tracy, who uh, I, I met the first time we were there, and she was getting baptized. And Tracy also has MS, and she, she's literally 90 pounds dripping wet. And the thing I most noticed about Tracy is the beauty in her face. Like you can just tell like, man, God, God was having a good day when he knit her together in her mother's womb. Like he was in a good mood. I mean, she's, you can just tell she's beautiful, but she can hardly talk. It's very hard for her to talk. And, and she shakes me and it's, it's like, she's just laboring. And I just always sit there and I, and I'm like, you're just so beautiful. And so we got her in the tub and I was getting ready to get her in the tub. And she hands me last thing I would have expected. She hands me a can of Copenhagen chew. And I'm like, I don't chew anymore. I used to like, and she's literally looking at me like saying like, no, I'm, I'm giving this up before I go into the tub. This is my thing. To, right. <laughs> well, you guys are all saying that's so sweet. And I'm saying you could have put a thousand people in front of me and said, which one of these people choose Copenhagen? <laughs> and Tracy would have been number 1000 that I don't choose. And I'm just sitting here and I'm like, these are my people. Like, this is my type of baptism. Like, they're, you know, we, we, got, we had to talk about cussing, and we got rid of some, some chewing tobacco at the, at the kiddie pool, and then we're dunking people, and I'm just sitting there going, this is too good to not let Red Rocks Church here and all our other campuses know every week for almost two years now because of the faithfulness, the second mile of Holly Bent, that we have another campus. And so Red Rocks Church, I would love to say hi to Evergreen and Lakewood and Littleton and Arvada across the pond at Brussels, men and women at God Behind Bars, you know, to quote Heavy D in this freestyle series, I got nothing but love for you, baby. <laughs> but now can we give the most gracious round of applause to everyone that meets at our Rocky Mountain MS Center. We love you guys so much, so much. So much. I cannot believe that we get to do this Red Rocks Church, and, and I mean that. And one of the thoughts I had when Tracy handed me that can of Copenhagen and said, I'm giving it up, like it's done. One of the things I thought was, was this, and I think this is God's heart. I thought, how awesome are humans, right? But because of human brokenness, I think we really struggle to believe that. And I think we even more struggle to believe that God thinks that. But I sat there and I went, how awesome are humans? But then I also thought, and here's where we lead into the message. I thought, how broken and how crazy are humans, right? Because of sin and because of human brokenness. And um, so I'm going to preach a message. This is freestyle. If you weren't here last week, we're just shooting from our heart. Shooting from the hip and speaking from the heart. And that's what freestyle is. That Jesus said out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so let me tell you, let me give you a little vision for what, what's going to happen in faith this weekend at our church. Uh, every time I preach, I preach with a different motivation in mind. 
Sometimes it's to teach something because I think most of us in the room don't know it. That, that's not a whole lot, but sometimes, uh, and then sometimes like last week, all I wanted to do was reinstill or reignite a passion and a conviction for how we love ourselves and how we love other people. That's all I wanted to do. And so I walked off stage quoting a verse about love and said, let's worship. And that's what needed to happen. Let me tell you ahead of time exactly what I know in my heart is supposed to happen this weekend. But this one's dangerous because you're putting yourself out there a little bit. I'm speaking for a few minutes for this. I'm not going to, for a moment. I'm speaking this weekend to purposely tap into your emotions. And I know this is difficult for a lot of Christians and how some of you were raised in different denominations because you were either consciously or subconsciously taught that this is all about truth. It's just truth. And you've got to put your emotions at the side if your emotions don't line up with truth, right? And, and, and I think there's something a, a little more unifying about emotions and truth. I think God's the God of emotions. If I read the Bible right, God has emotions. And when we created us in his image, he gave us emotions. And it's not about disconnecting your emotions from truth. It's learning how to steward those emotions in truth, right? Truth doesn't lead, I mean, excuse me, emotions don't lead, truth does. But emotions have an incredible uh, place. And so I'm literally telling you ahead of time, lest you think I'm a pastor trying to manipulate a cool moment, I could care less about that. The power of God wants to do something in your life this weekend, one way or another. Okay. But I'm going to ask you to, to, to allow your emotions to be your emotions based on the topic that we're going to talk about. I'm preaching for a moment. Here's, here's what Paul said when he was coming to a church to preach in Corinth. He said, I didn't come to you. He was writing them. He goes, you remember when I came to you? Remember that when I came preaching, I didn't come with wise and persuasive speech? He, here's my translation. I came freestyling, Paul said. I didn't have some master sermon, some great TED talk crafted out word for word. I came to you and it wasn't wise. It wasn't persuasive. It wasn't eloquent, but you know what happened? You can't tell me the Holy Spirit didn't drop in that place. He says, I came to you with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And I say it every week and I'm going to say it again. This moment is really lame. And we could be doing, especially on a day like today, we could be doing so many better things unless the Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit does. Then there's no better place you could be than at any of the campuses you might find yourself at. So I'm going to pray. Would you guys pray with me that, that God would just show up and that people would walk out of their campuses more healed when, than they walked in? Would you pray with me right now? Heavenly Father, we just, we invite you. We know you're already here. But we invite you as our king and as our Lord and as our savior and as our creator. We invite you to do what only you can do. God, we are so incredibly limited on this side of eternity with what we can and can't do, God. But you are unlimited with God. All things are possible. And so Holy Spirit of God, I'm asking in these next few minutes that your presence would be so felt and so strong and so beautiful and so tangible and that people would literally, because of you, Holy Spirit, be ministered to in such a freeing way. We pray this, God, in your son Jesus' name. Everyone said... Amen. A little bit over a year ago, my wife handed me a book that she had just finished reading and said, put this one on your list. You got to read this one. And it's a book by a psychologist named Brene Brown. It's called Braving the Wilderness. And there was one particular chapter in that book that it's an amazing book start to finish, but there was one particular chapter that was just speaking my language and it was chapter four. And the title of the chapter was this, and I want to read it to you. It was people are hard to hate close up, move in. <laughs> people are hard to hate close up, so move in. 
And the reason that caught my attention so fast and I was like, oh, this is going to be a good chapter was because Jesus was the king. Let me remind us, Jesus was the king at moving in, right? In John chapter one, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I love what Eugene Peterson says in his paraphrase of the Bible called the message. He says, Jesus moved into the neighborhood, to the hood, right? Since we're in freestyle talk here, Jesus moved into the hood. Like Jesus was the king at stepping out of his comfort zone to get uncomfortable, to move in and to do what with us? To fill what we fill, to experience what we experience, to sit in solidarity with the plight of humankind. That's what he does. Think about the woman at the well. You guys know this is one of our favorite stories at Red Rocks Church. When, when everyone in the Jewish culture was literally building a road to go around Samaria because they were at such odds with each other, there was such enmity between Jews and Samaritans, they didn't even walk through town. They, they literally took a longer trip home so they wouldn't get anywhere near each other. And we know what Jesus does when he gets to Samaria. He walks straight into the middle of it. And you know what he does? He sits with the least suspecting person in Samaria because these Samaritans didn't even like this girl and she was a Samaritan. And he sits down with what we know as the woman at the well. And I love when Jesus sits down with her because Jesus by this point was unquestionably a rabbi in his culture and no rabbi would, the, the Jewish system was set up at this point for rabbis to move away, not move in. And the problem though with having a system where God's priests are moving away from the margins is, is that it's, it's really hard to like people when you're moving away. But as Brene Brown says, people are really hard to hate, even your enemies, when you get up close and so move in. And Jesus was the king of kings in every area, but he was the king of moving in, right? Think of the woman caught in adultery. When everybody else in the Jewish culture would have been a part of wanting to stone her, Jesus does what? He moves in. And it's real hard to hate someone for what they've done when you move in. And Jesus didn't even remotely think about her adultery before he thought about defending her. They talk about the adultery a little later, but the first thing Jesus wants to do is move in and understand that that girl never was born and dreamed of the day she would wake up and almost get stoned to death because she cheated on her husband. There was a story behind the story, and I bet there was another story behind that story that led up to that point where that woman would do the most destructive thing in her life. And when she by law deserved death, the creator of the universe doesn't move away from the unclean woman who committed adultery. Do you know what he does? He steps in and says, you can throw them at me. Let any one of you who are without sin cast the first stone. You know what he then does privately? He says, hey, don't commit adultery. It almost got you killed. It really hurt your kids. They're in counseling now, right? Your husband's devastated. The whole other family is devastated. He's not even saying it like adultery's horrible. He's saying, do you see why we say don't? Do you see why it's in the Ten Commandments? I didn't do that arbitrarily. It's because it's going to destroy you. But he does that. He defends her publicly. And then he talks with her privately. Because I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, okay, I get the whole move in thing, Chad. But what, what, what do you do when you move in on people that you're fundamentally opposed to their beliefs, their lifestyles, their situations? And I wrote in my notes here, just to give you a break, I said, moving in closer to somebody's story doesn't denote consent. It denotes compassion. And if there's one thing, and the reason I love this book, Braving the Wild, so much by Brene Brown, is because if there's one thing this psychologist knows how to talk about and write about, it's this thing that we are deeply lacking in our culture. It's this word called empathy. Jesus is the ultimate champion of moving in when everybody's moving away. And you, you want to know what a real a, a term is for it? It's just empathy. 
And you can't fake empathy. You can't act like, yeah, I'm empathetic. The only way to have empathy is to move in. The only way to really be empathetic, you can't say, well, I am, and I'm sure they're great, and I'll pray for them. I'll pray for you, but we can't get too close because you might make me unclean because I believe this and you do that. The only way to truly have empathy is to move in and say, tell me your story. Let me, like Jesus did with that woman, let me sit with you in solidarity, and let's see what happens. Tell me your story. So you know what all good books do in the modern times? The publishers love them to do that. After they give the chapter title, they always quote somebody besides them to kind of foreshadow what the chapter is going to be about. And in this book, Braving the Wild, the very next thing is a quote. And this is really what I'm going to talk about for the next few minutes is this quote, because this quote for the last year has, has rocked me in a beautiful way. I have filtered so many conversations and so many human interactions through the quote that Brene Brown put right below the chapter title, and it's by an incredible author. He passed away in the 80s, name's James A. Baldwin, but he says this, and I want you to listen to this, because this is where we're going to go, and then we're going to have a moment. He says, I imagine one of the reasons people cling to their hates so stubbornly is because they sense once hate is gone, they'll be forced to deal with pain. And that messed with me, man, because I'm like, we have an angry culture right now, do we not? There's just this underbellied sense of, and I don't know what kind of roots are growing, in, but, but now, now that it's starting to sprout, our culture's angry, and everyone's fighting, man, and it's exhausting to the human soul. Everybody's trying to win something. Everybody's trying to advance a cause. Everybody wants their thing or their issue done. Everybody wants to make sure that they are heard. And if it means screaming over the other person, and if it means unkind, ungracious rhetoric, then we just do that. I know because I'm guilty of it, and I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to not do that, and I've still done it. There's just something going on, and I've got to believe that it's, the, it's getting worse so it can get better. I just believe that. I've got hope that something good is coming up, and so the enemy's pressing extra. But we're angry right now. And so what, that, what that's done for me in the last year is every time there's a, a national response of anger on either side, or I have a personal relationship where there's anger, I, I've been training myself to go, okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Anger is the facade here. Because below that, and here's what anger is. It's that hard protective shell. Do you know why we love anger in place of pain? Because anger feels like something we can control. Pain feels like an acknowledgement of uncontrollable weakness. And we were not born into a culture that likes the word weakness. We just weren't. From birth, you were not born into a culture that in any way, shape, or form affirms weakness in any way. It's figure it out. It's pull your bootstraps up. It's let's get going. It's come on. Like, no, 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 no. Overcome and read, you know, do the thing. And, and, and there's no place in our culture for weakness. The problem is in the kingdom of God, we see it in scripture, there's place for weakness. In fact, it's an incredible place. Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, right? Famous verse. He says, I, I pleaded with God to take away my pain. And what was God's response? No, my grace is sufficient for you. In your weakness, Paul, and fill in the blank for you, in your weakness, my power is now actually gonna do something supernatural. You want real freedom, then you don't avoid your pain with anger or with compartmentalizing or with numbing. You don't avoid your pain. You actually brave enough to give it a name and call it what it is, and cry out to God, 
and you don't care if it feels weak and if you don't care if, if people think that you're unstable or you don't care if people think you're, you're just not as strong as the rest of us who have it going on. No, 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 no. Here's what we do on a professional level. I know because I is one of you and I do it too. Is, is, is we, we compensate for our pain with things like anger and distraction and hobby and numbing and none of, the, n- none of those things are necessarily bad. The numbing stuff is, but beyond that, I, I get why we do that. But as, as James says, man, perhaps the reason we cling to our hates so stubbornly is because once hate is gone, we'll be forced to deal with our pain. So let's talk about pain for a few minutes to set up a moment. Pain is something we all experience in this lifetime. Some of you, that's not the anthem of your heart right now, and I'll, I'll address you at the end, and, and we're going to celebrate with you because that's what the Bible tells us we should do. But take notes because <laughs> you might be a moment away. You might be a day away. You might be a situation away. You might be a test result away from all of a sudden pain re-upping in your life for a season. And the beautiful thing is the Bible says so much about pain, and we serve a God that is so deeply invested in your pain. Some of your pain is outsourced. Some of you walk in here at any campus and and you're in profound pain right now and it's nothing you did wrong. It's outsourced. It's a sickness that came on unexpectedly. It's a betrayal relationally that you didn't see coming and that that you you didn't participate in. I I could go down the list. You guys know it's outsourced pain, but then we're also equal uh, parts insourced pain right? That's pain that we inflict on ourselves because of bad decisions. And the Bible told us from birth, you're going to make some bad decisions, which tells us what? Pain is inevitable. It's not if, it's, it's, it's when. And that's why we take time to talk about it. Because you got to know what to do with pain. And so last week in the spirit of LL Cool J, I titled it, I Need Love. And I, I don't know that I'm going to title it this, but the first song that came to my mind, and all of you uh, products of the 90s like myself will appreciate this, the MC Rob Bass said it best, joy, pain, sunshine, and rain, right? Give it to me, Rob Bass, right? Joy, pain, sunshine, and rain. Listen to me, Rob Bass. I'm having fun. That's what. Stop. Stop. I made you do that. You didn't want to do that. You're over it now. I'm done. I'm done singing and rapping and all that stuff. Sorry, that song, I love that song. I'm having nostalgia right now. He got it right though. That's life. On this side of the grave, that's life. It's joy and it's pain. And then one day it's sunshine and then one day it's rain. That, that's, that's, what, that, that's what we're in. And, and, and so I wrote my notes, you cannot be free. And I wrote like Galatians 5, 1 free if you don't know how to steward pain. And some of you got, you, you mean get rid of pain, Chad, not steward. No, I mean steward pain. Because pain on this side of eternity is not something to get rid of. It's a reality to steward. It's not a problem to be solved. Heaven's gonna solve that. The other side of the grave is going to solve the pain problem. I quote it almost every week, Revelations. When the new order of things comes, there'll be no more death. There'll be no more mourning. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more pain. We're still in that old order until Jesus comes again. And pain is inevitable. So it's not, it's not something, but here's what we want as humans. We want to just get rid of it as fast as possible, right? Make me happy, quick, quick. How do I get happy? Do I numb? Do I pray my happy prayers? Do I read my self-help book? What do I do? God, make me happy. Make me happy. I don't want to be in pain. Make me happy. I heard some pastors tell me I can always be happy. Make me happy, God, right? And, and, and sometimes God says, no, that's, that's not what I'm 
going to do. And so I want to do this to set the stage for the moment. And it's going to be very cliff notes before you think, oh my gosh, we're going to have a circus. I'm going I'm to tell two cliff notes, so give me grace. You can go back and study them this week because they're beautiful stories. I'm going to give two cliff notes of two stories, one in the New Testament, one in the Old Testament, and then I'm going to tell a story about my own life, and then we're going to have a moment. And it's going to be the moment that matters most, but, but I think this is going to help stir up our faith for that moment and our trust for that moment. First story is this. Let's do this so we're good Christians at church. Let's memorize a verse in this story, okay? And, and you guys are capable of it. I'm going to say it one time, and then I'm going to ask you to repeat it, and we're going to have it memorized. It's John 11:35. You ready? Here it is. Jesus wept. On the count of three, let's see how we did. Ready? One, two, three. Jesus. Come on. Brilliant church that we're a part of right here. We just memorized a verse during service. Guys, give yourself a hand, please. Couldn't be more proud right now. I remember, you, you, you know how it goes. The, the longer you keep reading the amazing book called the Bible, the more you just see dimensions and layers and layers. And I don't remember what year it was in my faith, but I remember when I was finally uh, mature enough and I had lived enough life and I had been through enough things to read that moment where it says Jesus wept and not just pass over it. But really understand the incredible theological implications about the God we serve when it says in that moment, when John records in that moment that Jesus wept. And here's what's so beautiful about it. His good buddy, Lazarus, you can go back and read it. It's in John 11, died. Jesus was in another town when he died. Most theolog uh, theologians believe that Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, were probably Jesus's closest friends on planet earth. In fact, John would call him Lazarus, the one you loved in this story. Jesus is in another town and Mary and Martha are so distraught because they've lost their brother and they send some friends to go to the other town to tell Jesus, hey, you're the only one we know with like X-Men powers. Come heal this guy. I added that in. That's not true. Sorry. <laughs> We've seen you do what you do. We know that if you speak the word, you can raise my brother from the dead. So go tell Jesus to come right away and we're his best friend. So he's going to come right away. And Jesus gets the word and he goes, all right, I'm on my way. The problem is, and this is another sermon for another day, when Jesus says he's on his way, his time frame and yours and mine are completely different. Jesus stayed in the town where he heard that news two more days. Lazarus is dead. That's the problem. It's, it's a scientific problem, right? It's a decomposition problem. Lazarus is dead. But what's interesting is before the people who came and told Jesus left, Jesus goes, hey, by the way, let them know this is going to end good. Let them know everything's going to be all right. So they must assume Jesus would be right behind the people and running and sprinting and like, where's he at? We got to get to him quick. He waits two days and then he shows up and guess what Martha is? You can kind of see it in her tone in the story when she runs to the outskirts of town because she heard Jesus is there two days late. Guess what she is a little bit? Angry. Wouldn't you be too? But guess what we are when we're in deep pain? Guess what the safe play is even with God? Anger. Because as soon as you get rid of anger, you might have to start saying you're in pain. And that's what Martha was. That's what any of us would have been. And so Jesus finally goes, all right, let's go. Calm down, Martha, Mary, calm down. Let's go to the grave. He goes to the grave and they're doing their ancient rituals of mourning and lamenting, which is beautiful. And Jesus already said he was going to raise him from the dead, right? And it says, Jesus sat there with them and wept. Now, if you read the story and you're like me, here's the thought. Why would you waste good time weeping when you know there's about to be a celebration? That makes no sense. 
That's, that's poor stewardship, in my opinion, right? Because our, 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 we're Americans. We, we problem solve. We're good with time, right? That's what, that's what we do. We, why would you sit there and it almost feels like a cruel joke. You're going to sit there and cry with everything, with everybody, when you could speak a word and you're about to do that. And Lazarus would come up. But what's he doing there, Red Rocks Church? We're being taught something about life. We're being taught something about true freedom. We're being taught something profoundly important about how to deal with pain, whether you're in it right now or you are someday. Jesus is saying there is something so sacred and so important about sitting in something, not just solving it. Our minds have been taught just solve it. How do we solve this? 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 But Jesus is trying to teach everybody. We don't just solve things. And I'm about to solve it, by the way. I didn't just come here to solve things. I came here to sit with you. Jesus didn't just come to solve the woman at the well's problem. And from the text, it seems like he did. Do you know what he did with her for a good while first? And it got him in a bunch of trouble. He sat with her. Just, I'm just going to sit with you in solidarity. I'm just going to learn your story. He looks at the woman and well, I know you didn't, again, as a little girl, play in the backyard dreaming of the day you'd have five divorces working on number six. I know you didn't dream of the day. You dreamed of that one big wedding you'd have. I know that there's so many layers to what got you to that kind of relational dysfunction that now you're on boyfriend number six. And I'm going to sit with you. And I'm not going to point fingers and I'm not going to condemn. I'm going to sit with you in solidarity. And if we want to laugh, we'll laugh. And if we want to cry, we're going to cry. But the creator of the universe came here to sit with us, not just solve problems for us. Think about this with me. Let's use the book of Job. Let's move out of Jesus wept into the book of Job. In the beginning of the book of Job, and it's like 50 some chapters. So pack a lunch if you're going to go home this week and read that one. (laughs) And it's crazy. It's crazy. Fair warning. But in the beginning, something so beautiful happens in the book of Job. Let me, let me give you the cliff notes. Most of you know it. Um, Job, if you looked in the dictionary and it said worst case scenario possible, his face would be like he'd be shooting guns at you. Like, I'm the guy. I'm the guy. Worst case scenario. Job is the most righteous. So if, if it's works-based, nobody deserves to go through what Job deserved to go through. And some of you, that's your pain right now. You're an incredible human being. And you're just going through it and it doesn't seem like justice because there's so many other human beings that are not righteous like you and God's causing rain on them as much as he is you. They're, 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 they're prospering and you're not right now. And, and, and God trusts Job with a really, really horrific situation and he loses his family and he loses his kids. And then his wife, who's the only thing left, do you know what her response to him was? Curse God and die, Job. Here's how I hear it. Curse God and die, Job. She's saying something. I don't know what's wrong with her, right? But here's what I do. Sorry. Here's what I do know. She was lacking empathy, right? Because in the ancient Hebrew culture, they believed when stuff like that happened, it was a literal just curse from God. Like something's wrong with you. Something's so broken. You've made God so mad that this happened and it was from the hand of God and he wanted it on you to send a message to you about you. So she just says, curse God and die, Job, because God clearly died. She's in pain too, right? So what'd she do? Anger. Because if she doesn't have anger, she might just have to deal with her pain. And so what happens next is Job is just devastated as we all would be. He's lost literally everything, including his children. Think about that, parents. He's lost everything. And, and they have this ancient Hebraic 
Middle Eastern ritual, which is so beautiful, where friends would come and for 72 hours, for three days, they wouldn't say a word. And you know what they would do? Some of you have done this with your friends that got cancer in an act of solidarity. They would shave their heads and they would sit in the dust, literally in the ashes, in the dust symbolically, and they wouldn't say a word and they would just cry and be silent with Job. And that's what his friends came and for three days they did. They sat in silence. And then you know what they did for the rest of the time? As soon as that time was up, they tried to solve the theological problem of why God did that and everything went sideways. Everything went sideways. As soon as they graduated from sitting and grieving and sitting in solidarity to trying to solve the theological conundrum of how something like this could happen, then it all goes bad and everyone starts fighting and there's disunity and discord and they would have all eventually left and started new denominations against each other. But, 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 but here's what I want us to know and I'll put it up on the screen. Here's what for the hundred beautiful lessons Job teaches us. Here's the one I want us to hear this weekend that God is saying to us as a nation that needs empathy, more sitting, less solving. That's what you need. That's what your life group needs. That's what you and your spouse need. That's what this nation needs. And then let's go global. That's what this globe needs. We are empathy starved. And we're dying out. And that's what we need. I'm telling you, we need a whole bunch more sitting. We need people moving in not moving away. We need people moving in because it's really hard to hate someone else. And you know what? When it's hard to hate someone else, it's really hard to hate yourself. I think most of the time we hate other people is because we're doing what psychologists call projecting on some of the hate we have for ourselves. And it just feels better to project it onto someone else than the hate we have for ourselves. And God came to conquer hate, period. In you, how you feel about yourself, hate for other people, and so Job, he, he just sits there and then they try and solve everything. And I wrote in my notes again, certainty is to a degree limited on this side of eternity. Would you agree? I wish that wasn't the case, but on this side of eternity, certainty is just limited. But you know what's not limited? Solidarity. You get to pick how much you want to have with people. So Jesus wept and, and, and Job, Job wept. And now here's my story. I was sitting on a plane. This is plane to Nashville, take two, because last week I told a story about a plane to Nashville. This was actually the week before on a plane to Nashville. Band, you guys can come on out. I'm wrapping up. We're going to have our moment. I'm sitting on a plane to Nashville. Not, not the one, if you were here last week, I talked about. The plane ride before that. And I'm going through some stuff several weeks ago, and I'm grieving some things. And I'm sad right now. And I'm just being honest with you. I'm putting my heart out there now. Um, one of the reasons I'm freestyling this, it's, out, it's coming from the abundance of my heart because I'm just sad. I'm in a season of sadness right now for a multitude of reasons, just private, personal, family stuff. I'm just sad. And I'm not used to being super sad a lot all the time. And I was sitting on the plane and I don't know what they're putting in the air in the planes to Nashville, but they need to stop. <laughs> it's getting weird. And I just start tears again. <laughs> Part one, start coming down. And I had a conversation that was bigger than me because I would not have used this language and I would not have thought about this. And I promise you it was the Holy Spirit growing me up and teaching me. And now I'm just getting to freestyle and pass it on to you. But here's the conversation I had in my head. And I'm going to get emotional. So I'm sorry, dudes. <laughs> I said, God, I'm so sad right now. 
and I'm too tired to try and not be sad. But that's what I've done my whole life. If I'm sad, I vigilantly attack the sadness and I do anything. Quote scripture as a good Christian, scripture my way out of it. Pray all the good, make me happy prayers. Barter with God. You ever do that? I've done that. Barter with God. And then if none of that's working, then I go into the fleshly side, which is maybe numb it. Overcompensate in another area to distract myself from the pain because God forbid humans ever just sat in some pain, right? But I think that's what God is saying to us. If we really want to be free, like Galatians 5, 1, free. There's going to be seasons this year of profound pain and profound happiness. And when you're in the pain, I think what God's saying to us, Red Rocks Church, is if you really want freedom, deep, mature, beautiful freedom, don't be as quick as you're told you're supposed to be to get out of that pain, to get on to happiness. Because there's something God only does in sitting with us in our pain that cannot happen by just doinking us over the head and getting us right back to being happy. There's just something so sovereign and beautiful that God does when we trust him with our pain. And we say, God, this is a scary prayer because I want you to solve this. But what I'm actually going to ask is what I asked on that plane. And I don't know that I've ever done this in my years with Jesus. I think it was my first time. It was a game changer. That's why I'm passing it on. I just said, I'm just going to be sad. And I said this, and I had this picture. I said, Holy Spirit, if Jesus wasn't lying, and I don't think he was, I know he wasn't, you're the comforter, and you live in me, and you came to minister to me, and teach me, and guide me, and let me know everything I need to know about this life. You came to convict me, to keep me on the right path, but one of your chief goals, listen to Red Rocks, is comfort. He came to comfort you. Why? Because there's some joy and there's some pain and there's some sunshine and there's some rain. You know what else he'll do on days of sunshine and joy? He'll celebrate with you because that's what he asks us to do as the church with each other, celebrate. But when there's, when, there's sunsh- when, there's, when there's pain and when there's rain, the Holy Spirit says, all right, put your arm out like this and I'm gonna put mine and we're gonna lock arms in solidarity and there's a good chance this problem's not gonna be solved in a time frame you like, just like it was with Lazarus and his family. So don't think about the solving, think about the sitting part of it. And, and some of you I think would be way more free if you could give up trying to graduate as quick as possible out of the season you're in into a happier season. And if you could for a minute let God grow you up and let God cultivate in you a trust that you didn't have before this painful situation happened and you have the courage to say, God, I'm just weak. And instead of saying, take this away from me like Paul did, God says, no, 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 I'm not going to because in your weakness, in your pain, my power is gonna be perfected. And when my power is perfected, your purpose is gonna be magnificent. And once that happens, trust joy to do what joy does. So here's what we're going to do, Red Rocks, at every campus. We're going to pray that prayer, if you so choose. And we're going to say, Holy Spirit, I'm in pain. Would you lock arms with me? Now, here's the deal. Like I said earlier, some of you are doing amazing. Pain is not the anthem of your heart right now. Don't feel one bit guilty. It's a a rhythm of life. It's a rhythm of grace. We celebrate that with you. If we're really mature believers, we celebrate that with you. So here's the deal. You go, okay, well, this just wasn't my week at church. I'll come back next week. Hopefully they're talking to me. No, no, no. We don't come to church as consumers. We come as ministers, priests. 
So here's what you're going to do. If you're in a really incredible place and the anthem of your heart is joy and sunshine, here's your job. You're going to sit in solidarity with everyone that raises their hand at every campus and says, I'm in pain right now and I need God to sit with me. I need to feel the presence of God. Man, when I was on that plane, I felt almost euphoric and I'm trying not to overhype this because pastors are great at doing that. But I'm telling you, I, I had one of the best plane rides of my life and I cried. And for the first time I said, it's okay to be sad. Like, it's okay to lament. It's a beautiful thing that we do, Red Rocks, when we lament. And the West sucks at it. This is what we can learn from our Eastern brothers and sisters. They're in East Side. They're incredible. West Side, not so much. Freestyle. They, they treat lament as something sacred. And we treat it as a problem to be solved. And, and, and we could learn so much by going, no, 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 no. Jesus sat there when he knew he was going to do a miracle and just weeped with the people. That means it's an important part of the journey. And, and I hope I set the table to give you permission to, especially dudes, quit doing the tough guy thing. Get over it, man. To quote my buddy Brian Zabel, who was just up here giving announcements, the Holy Spirit turns every man into a fifth grade boy at some point. Let it happen. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of it. Because until you get to pain, small and petty things like anger are going to be the anthem. And it's going to do nothing to bring you freedom. It's just going to get you in a whole bunch of trouble. So would you stand up? And I'm just going to ask one question. And then we're going to move. And the question is, is this. If you're the person who says right now, that's the theme of my heart. That's the anthem of my heart. I'm in pain. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's spiritual. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's psychological. Maybe for, we have a bunch of people at our church that are struggling and walking through mental illness. And you're in pain. We want to lock arms with you. You're not broken any more than the rest of us. I just want to stop for a minute. If you struggle with mental illness, you're not any more broken than the rest of us. You just have a brokenness that sometimes is a little louder in public. That's it. So you get judged in ways you don't deserve to be judged. And Jesus says, I'll sit with you. I'll lock arms with you. You're loved, man. But everyone who's in pain, you're, you're so loved. And God's like, I can have such a sweet moment with you if you'll just put out your arm and let the Holy Spirit be what the Holy Spirit is, which is a comforter. But you got to get over yourself and you got to get over this whole, like, pull your, pull your boots up, man. There's time for that. Not, not, not now. So if that's you, I need to quit talking. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and say, I need, I need some people to, to sit with me. I need God more than anything to sit with me. See, look, yeah, look around. Man, I'm so sorry. Whatever you're going through. I cry with you, I'm crying with you, man. But forget about me. God cries with you. It doesn't matter. Even if you brought that pain on yourself because of bad decisions, God cries with you. The world may not, but God cries with you. He sent his son to cry with you. Why do you think Jesus sat with us for 33 and a half years and then solved the problem in three days. He's teaching us something about life and how it works. He 
wants you to know that he gets what you're going through and he's got it. So we're gonna, we're gonna sing and I'm gonna ask this. I'm gonna ask for a movement because movement is faith and faith pleases God. And I just feel like something's gonna happen when we move, but this is out of our comfort zone. If you raise your hand and you would be willing, I'm gonna ask you to come forward. And it's not gonna be perfect. We'll fill the aisles. It's, I'm gonna ask you to get a little tight. And everybody who didn't raise their hand, I celebrate with you. But your job is as we worship to pray over them, to pray and just sit in solidarity and say, God, whatever their pain is, some point in my life, I'm gonna need some people to do this for me. I'm gonna need the church to do this for me. So as people, and at every campus, you can start to come forward. As people start to come forward, man, if you stay in your seats and have the privilege of a beautiful season right now, would you use some of the, the gas that's in your, in your soul's tank? And would you use it for the people that are coming to the front? Because they deserve this, just like you deserve it when you're in pain. Thank you. Keep coming at every campus. Come on. I know this is unusual, but who cares, man? This is what we're here for. We're going to start to sing. And I'm telling you guys, as you start to sing these, we pick songs that wouldn't just be songs. They'd be prayers. So whether you want to sing, whether you want to cry out to God, whether you want to do whatever you, there's no right way to deal with pain. But the biggest thing is like, God, would you just meet with us right now? So Lord, would you just right now blanket us with your Holy Spirit's comfort? Holy Spirit, we are little children needing your comfort. So would you blanket everybody at every campus that came down and is going through it? Would you just blanket them? Would you sit with them? Would you weep with them? Would you give them tears? Somebody, somebody at our campuses needs to cry that can't cry. God, would you, would you let them know that that's okay, God, that, that, that you're releasing something from them. You're moving a burden when we start to cry. God, as we worship, I pray you do miracles in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's worship.